Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You could do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Well, good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. I serve as the interim pastor here at Urban Village Church Edgewater. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And thanks for being here. Showing up is half the battle some days. And I'm so glad that you are here, that I made it because I was running late. So we're, we're going to make it together. Will you pray with me? God of wonders, fill this time with your grace that has gone before us, that is present now, and that is preparing us for the future, God, when you get everything you want. Fill us with your grace that we may hear your word, that we may understand it better, digest it, and analyze it with each other so that we are prepared to go out and live it in the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this passage from Psalms uh, starts with something philosophers have analyzed and discussed and worried about for generations, which is what makes a happy person? What makes a person feeling good in their life? And is that the ultimate goal, to be happy? Is that what we should be striving for? And actually, I, I don't know that happiness is the thing we're working towards, but that's what these translators of this version decided to use, the word they decided to use. What I would suggest to you is that we retranslate Psalm 1. And here's my retranslation. The person who is okay with their mistakes, at peace with themselves and those around them, the person who is health, has a healthy work-life balance or at least acknowledges when it's unhealthy, This person does not get wrapped up in gossip gossip, and does not follow a crowd of carnage, but creates their own path of peace. This person does not follow the Kardashians on Instagram, but maybe just checks in on them every once in a while because they know what a life of peace looks like. Instead of allowing the hate of life and the comparison of joy to distract them, this healthy person chooses to follow God, seeks a connection with their ancestors of faith and those followers who decided to let their freak flag fly, this person follows in their footsteps. After asking questions and analyzing practices and this book of their heritage, which we call the Bible, these folks find the language of faith and the actions of spiritual practices and they find a connection to something larger in life, something that is life-changing and life-sustaining. That's my own translation. We'll call it the EVS, which is also another translation, but Aaron's version uh, of the scriptures. It turns out that according to the psalm, being a happy person is not super sexy, as one might think. 
The happy person this psalm is talking about, when we read happy, we should interpret a well-adjusted, working through their stuff and working on the stuff in the world type of person. This is who they are. And how did they get this way? They are like a tree that is planted by moving, freshly moving waters. Or maybe they are replanted. They picked up from the ground and found themselves in this new healthy place. And they allow this active body of water to feed them. Their roots sinking deeper into the earth and drawing up life and health and history from the ground. And then they reach even further out to the sky, recycling the harmful toxins in the air and then regenerating life for all, producing the evidence of their work. And so this is the inaugural psalm, the first in this, what we maybe should consider the psalms, a hymnal of the Hebrew people. They use this book in, uh, in their worship services and came back to it often. So the first psalm they wanted us to sing and read and pray about was an instruction of how people of faith should delight in what the text calls the law of God. Meditate on it day and night. The psalm tells us contented, well-adjusted people do something that is not super sexy. They read their Bible. (laughs) And they interpret the stories from the pages of it. And it helps them live out their lives. And reading your Bible sounds nice when you're talking about reading parables of the story of a shepherd, like bringing about sheep. But I want to confess that reading the Bible is really challenging for me when I'm reading unsavory stories. Stories that in our Bible include stories of murder and rape and incest and carnage and violence. How do we meditate on these stories that are kind of like a bait and switch, like Noah's Ark, which in our maybe Sunday school baby years we learned was this story of a floating zoo. But really, when you come back to it as an adult, you realize it's about God committing genocide on all of creation. How do we read that and interpret it for our lives? How do we understand and interpret the story of King David? This king, the man, the text says, who is a man after God's own heart, who then goes and rapes Bathsheba and then has her husband killed. How are we supposed to read these texts, meditate on them, and follow with our lives when the Bible contains a lot of harmful passages? Harmful passages about women's bodies. I identify as a woman, if you're wondering about queer sexuality, harmful passages that seem to promote slavery that have been used and manipulated and twisted to promote harmful, horrible things, to profit the powerful and to keep the low lowly. So let's be very clear, this text is not easy to read. That's why communities like ours, people like you and me, have dedicated our lives to reading it and seeking further understanding from it. And sometimes we get really angry with it or we get really angry with the people who are interpreting it because we care so deeply about it. And it's not a simple read. It's a complex book with complex characters interacting and loving and worshiping a complex God. And these stories and passages, the nice and beautiful thing sometimes is that they seem to mean one thing one day and another amazing, weird thing the next day. They speak to us in brand new and fresh ways. Because it's kind of like, I like to think of the Bible as a brilliant piece of artwork. 
This is a text where we are instructed to meditate and fashion our lives after it. And this text kind of looks different in different lighting some days. And it speaks to us from different points of view. Maybe you're standing on one side of the room seeing it in one way. And I'm standing on the other side of the room seeing it in a different way. Both ways of reading it are really interesting and valid because they come from our experience, but they also breathe new life into this text. And so our perspectives comes alive when we take the Bible seriously and when we take each other seriously. But how the heck are we supposed to meditate on this complex book that is often and has even as of a few months ago in our public media been used to abuse and exclude people when it is a book that I like fiercely love, when I fiercely believe it is a book of love and mercy and justice. This sermon series, uh, Urban Village Church, we are a for four sites throughout the city of Chicago. And one of the beauties of our church is that we share sermon series across the four sites. So in Hyde Park, Woodlawn, South Loop, and Wicker Park, we're all talking about the same thing today. And we're connected to this larger network of other churches talking about how and why we should be reading the Bible. And so in this sermon series, we are talking also about our history as a United Methodist Church, a worldwide denomination, which is just a fancy word for a collection of churches that agree to the similar beliefs and structures. And we, as Urban Village Church, whether you identify as a United Methodist or not, uh, Revelation, I don't, I identify as Baptist, but we are a part of this United Methodist system as a community together. And so a little bit of history about the United Methodist Church is that it began by a bunch of rambunctious teenagers. They actually weren't that rambunctious when we get down to the story of it, but they decided that the church was not reading the Bible the way it should, and they were going to come together as these teenagers. We've got ideas. We're going to sit together and read the Bible and discuss it. So not super rambunctious, maybe, but they were being really rambunctious for their day. These teenagers in England sought to read and meditate on God's word with some seriousness. These teenagers, they didn't intend to create the United Methodist Church, spoiler alert. They just wanted to create some systems and structures and methods for which people could read and meditate on God's word together. And this is one of my favorite things about the United Methodist Church. Before I became a part of UBC, I became acquainted with Wesleyan's quadrilateral. Um, John Wesley, one of the founders of the United Methodist Church, uh, was probably more like a director of operations for the organization and not so much like a charismatic speaker. He came up with all these images and ways of structuring the organization, which is one of the reasons the church continues to flourish today. But this is one of my favorite pieces that he made. And this is called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And we're going to throw it up here on the screen. Um, so Wesley believed that there were ways of reading the Bible that could help us and influence the way we read it that gave us more health and life. And these ways should influence and assist our ways of reading scripture. Because scripture herself, she breathes through what, he, what Wesley called the other corners of this quadrilateral. But if you're like me and you hate linear things and you also hate graphics that like try to tell you how to read scripture, maybe this next slide will help you. This is another way of interpreting the quadrilateral that says scripture is this large thing that we are reading and that when we come to it, 
We are like the breath of God, the Holy Spirit breathing through us, breathes new life into the text, and it comes alive for us because it is used through these three points of our being. And we bring all three points of our being into this together integrated. Reason, tradition, and experience. So when we read scripture, we realize that she is not dead. She is active and actively being regenerated through our careful consideration and analytical questioning. So God keeps speaking and directing us through scripture when we read it, when we question it, and when we apply it to our lives. So the corners of the quadrilateral include tradition. Tradition connects us to the past. The tradition of centuries of people who had a relationship with God, this God who brought people out of Exodus, brought people out of slavery, who brought people into community with God's self through Jesus. This is the God we worship. Scripture seems to cover all the important moments in history too, which probably means like it was crafted with careful consideration because scripture tells, about, tells us about God's creation and tells us about the future, the beginning of time, and the end of time, when God gets everything that God wants, when death and pain are no more, and when we celebrate in fullness because justice has been served. So we read in tradition. We are not ourselves, but we come with all of our ancestors to this text. And tradition of reading scripture is also influenced by our experience. Scripture lives and breathes in our experience as we read passages and look for applications to our lives and connect ourselves to the characters described in the text, the faithful ancestors of faith who tried to create a Jesus-loving, inclusive community for God's children who were yet born, us. So one of the things I love that's love with a URV. One of the things I love about Wesleyan Quadrilateral is that our heritage as United Methodists takes experience seriously. Can you say that? Takes experience seriously. You can say it. Takes experience seriously. This is what our faith does. Our experience, you, the mix-up of all your identities that make up you, you are important and essential for reading the Bible just the way you are. You, you who you are and who, whatever you've done, whoever you've done, whatever, however you've done, you bring an important perspective to the text and it is essential for understanding God. Our community needs your perspective. You are essential to the kingdom and to reading scripture. So tradition and experience inform our reasoning of scripture. This means as United Methodists, that means you and me and all of us, we don't see science and scientific discovery and say, mm, nah, thanks. Instead, it means that we do not reject questions or hypotheses or dissent. It means that we are happy to debate, to vigorously discuss and analyze and take our reading seriously. It means, too, that we don't always interpret literally. Like when the Bible says that the earth was created in seven days, we're okay with being flexible with that number. <laughs> it also means that when science reveals there is this big bang that forms creation, we are inspired by this big bang, too, because we see ourselves. God has created us from the dust 
of stars, and there is beauty in that. It means that we are not intimidated by the overwhelming evidence that gayness or queerness or transgenderness is not, read it, not a mental disorder, but is some, and it is not something that should be overcome by just simply praying it away. It means we embrace reason. It means that we are open to change and new ideas and opinions. And it means that we, as a community, take each other seriously. It means that when somebody has the confidence to speak up and share their experience, our reason tells us to take their experience seriously. So for me, for me, I identify as a straight, cisgender, white woman. And it means that my lived experience is not threatened by someone else's lived experience. So when I hear the stories of transgender women of color, did you know that the life expectancy of transgender women of color in 2018 in the United States of America is 35 years old? That should make you effing angry, righteous anger. And when I hear that statistic, I believe it. And I believe it because I believe the experiences of others and I believe science and I believe what is being told to me. And I believe also the stories and reading scripture and the text and trans women of color help me understand the text so much better because my tradition, my values and the experience of others teach me so. So the reasoning of scripture tells me that God keeps speaking and directing us through scripture when we read it, when we question it, and when we apply it to our lives together in community. So we know the Bible is not a dead document. Although it is bound by, maybe yours is bound by a hard cover or a leather cover or a paper Bible, and we have some out in the, in the, uh, the entryway if you need one, we'd be happy to give you one. Although it is bound, it is not dead. That when we come to this text and we read it with seriousness, when we take in tradition, the history of all those who have gone before us reading it, when we take in our own experience and the experience of others, and when we use reason to deduct what God is saying to us, this scripture comes alive in us. It is breathed new life. And like a tree planted by waters, it is deeply rooted and it grows out to recycle all that crap outside, excuse my French, and breathe new life into the world, showing fruits for all. So we find in our tradition a crossroads. God believed that the word, scripture, was not enough, that we needed a reminder, and so God sent Jesus. The word, or scripture, made flesh for us. The word put on skin and came to be with us. And so we know that God sees us and that reason and experience are important because God said, I know you need to see and to feel and to touch me. I know you need more stories and to remind you about what love and mercy and justice are like. And so God sent Jesus, the word made flesh for us to remind us, recenter us around what God is doing for us and for this world. And so it is really important using tradition and experience and reason to keep reading our Bibles to discuss it with each other as evidence through Jesus because God keeps speaking and directing us through scripture as we read it, as we question it, as we take each other seriously and apply our learning to our lives.
are you really excited to go read the Bible now? Just say yes. Just lie to me. Fake it till you make it. It's fine. It is. It's super. She is a good looking lady and she wants you to read her. Read her not in the like girl domain, uh, like a uh, uh, super sassy way where you're trying to shame her, but you need to read her. Yeah, girl, don't come for me. Don't come for this Bible because she will get you. So when the offering baskets come by, there are little, also we want you to put in your tear-off slips because this will help us get to know you, help us uh, be praying for you and help you get involved in EdgeFest, the edgiest fest in all of Chicago. You want to be there. Um, but there's also in these baskets little slips of different passages of the Bible, some of my favorite passages, but also some of the most complex passages. And there are four questions on that slip. So you can pick up one of those slips and go home, read that passage and ask those questions. The questions are really easy. It's, what did you like best about this text? What was the most important part about this passage? And this is the controversial one. What part of this would you leave out? Would you say, eh, she's not super sexy. And what part is about you? Where are you in this text? And maybe your challenge should be that you have a discussion with someone in your life about this text, that you see they come with different answers than what you came up with. And there's beauty in that experience and reasoning that you do together. And if... You, you are so faithful to show up on a Sunday when there is golf on and tennis on and a beautiful Sunday in Chicago. You are God's favorite and chosen because you showed up this morning. But that means if there are not enough tear-off slips in for, for you to get a reading, I need you to come and find me after worship and sign up to work at EdgeFest so I'll have your email address and I can send you a passage. Are you gonna come to EdgeFest, the edgiest fest in Chicago? We're going to read. We're going to question and challenge because it's important and essential for giving us new life. Will you pray with me? Holy God, you planted us by living water that we may be rooted in righteousness. You are the God of those who wander in the wilderness. You are the God who goes before us as a beacon and a guide you call us to be holy as you are holy. We are assured that you are still speaking and directing. That you, God, help us to read your word. That you value our questions. You value our honesty. And you are not afraid, God, of our doubts and our fears. And so this is a lesson we apply to our lives. That we may love our neighbor as ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.